some other times in the past when the pain was intolerable. He was thinking his wife didn't love him at all anymore. He didn't burst into tears and he didn't think that the first thing most people do when they realize someone doesn't love them anymore is cry. to the Cinematologist Podcast. I'm Neil Fox, and joining me as ever is the wonderful Dario Linares. Hello, Dario. Wow, what an intro. I don't know what to say to that. Uh, thanks very much the brilliant Neil Fox. How are you? Thank you very much. Well, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm, get, I'm, I'm getting into the, the spirit of giving at Christmas and giving platitudes. I was going to say, is this uh, mutual recognition and uh, self, you know, and support group going on here in this episode? Well, you know, I think it's important that we, uh, we tell each other as men that uh, we appreciate each other and that we have feelings and we're open to uh, expressions of, yeah, kindness. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's uh, it's great to be back on with you. Um, it's and To be honest with you, it's it's great to have so much content to look forward to. You know, I know there's going to be a, a, a really good rollout over the next month, I think, of, of stuff for, for the audience that I think they'll really appreciate, that will, you know, speak to different subjects. And, and we've had to push back ideas that we wanted to do this this season but the, there's just been so much stuff so it's great yeah a lot of different uh different guests different focuses a kind of nice broad range of stuff and responding to the the moment in a, in, in a way that we haven't really in the past so a lot of the stuff that's kind of come up over the last couple of months and the way we've thought about the episodes i think is is much more flexible and, and trying to yeah just make the most of having access to a lot of really interesting filmmakers and interesting opportunities and uh, none more so than this one that popped up into our inbox a little while ago that thankfully you were able to to kind of latch onto being a Londoner now. Yes. So uh, do, you want, do you want to let our listeners know what's in store today? Yeah, it's interesting how you're talking about there about how the podcast has sort of developed and one of the things that has happened, probably due to me buggering off up to uh, Brighton uh, after a couple of years of doing the podcast was that our live shows are much less regular now. And I think that there's there's two reasons for that. You know, one is what I've just said, is that we're, we're living in different parts of the world. But also they are quite difficult to organise. And you can never guarantee getting great quality sound, which is <laughs> more and more irksome for me over the over the years. I kind of get a little bit, you know what I mean? Sometimes when I feel like the, the sound isn't great, but I'm kind of tempering that as much as, as, much as possible. And uh, yeah, when this popped up, we got an email kind of out of the blue from Will, who is one of the musicians of a four-piece, well, a four-piece, yeah, of course they are. They're a string quartet, so they will be a four-piece. But there is a caveat to that, which I'll discuss later. But um yeah, um, he got in touch with, with me and asked if I wanted to talk to him and invited me to the the performance of a live scoring of Yorgos Lanthimos's The Lobster, which is a film I really like. And I know you, you hadn't seen it, but you have seen it now. So we can talk about at the end whether you liked it or not. Oh, no, I'd, I'd seen The Lobster. Oh, you had seen The Lobster. It was the, yeah, I hadn't seen The, the Favourite. Favorite. Sorry, big pardon. But it's a, it's a really interesting film, whether one likes it or not, I think, to discuss. Because, you know, that's one of the things that came up in the, in the Q&A, actually. But yeah, he got in touch and said the, his string quartet was going to do this scoring of The Lobster, which, you know, I don't know if people remember, it is a very much based on string quartet music, on some of the, you know, the, the greatest composers and their, their pieces of music that were written specifically for that, that configuration. 
Um, and I said, yeah, I'd love to interview you and I'd love to come. But I, I, actually, what would be ideal was if we could actually do a live taping, because it seemed to me that it's almost kind of like you're missing a trick if the live performance is actually happening and you can't talk to the musicians with the audience straight after the performance had taken place. So that was what I was really interested in. And um, this was a collaboration between this uh, this group, the Solemn Quartet and Picture Houses Cinemas. And we, we got in touch with them and asked whether it would be possible. And because they were on tour, they were doing this, I think, with eight cinemas um, across the Picture Houses uh, locations and we arranged to to come down to the the gate in notting hill and yeah it was absolutely fantastic i'd been to that cinema before it's a one one screener and with a very little foyer and we went inside it's one of those sort of long thin cinemas which i think is quite i mean maybe i'll talk about this later it's it it presents its challenges in terms of doing q and a's i think um and this was kind of a, a technical exercise as well, sort of getting, getting everything together. But yeah, we were really happy to be able to tape the entire um, event. So we got a quick intro beforehand, taped the actual live musicians through through the deck that they've got there and through the mics. We did have some some mic issues, which you will hear, but generally the, the sound was absolutely fantastic and then had a, a nice 20-minute Q&A at the end. Yeah, it was a really, really fascinating to listen back to it and... Um... When I was listening to the the conversation afterwards and thinking about the film and the string quartet music, which they sort of say is quite rare, you know, normally much more orchestrally driven, but just thinking about those main characters in the lobster, you know, and almost the four, the four main ones that kind of recur, you know, so Olivia Colman's character, Rachel Weisz's character, Colin Farrell's character, and John C. Riley's character. That's how I kind of thought. I thought, oh yeah, it kind of. It does that thing which great scoring does and great music does, which is there's a relationship which is not necessarily obvious or explicit kind of between that that form of the music and the form of the film or the content of the film, which I thought was really kind of made sense and was, yeah, I was really excited to kind of listen back to what they did and it sounded amazing. Yeah, so. Yeah, it was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, you heard at the beginning, we, we swapped out our intro music just for this uh, episode because we got so much great tape. I just thought I want to put this all the way all the way through. So, uh, yeah, it's just really amazing. And, and you know, it, it just it just reminds you that there are still people in the world who, you know, are not are not necessarily famous per se, but have spent their entire life dedicated to a craft, to a skill, to an art, whatever you want to call it. And are absolutely, you know, at the top of their game, world-class musicians. And that's that's kind of their job, being that good at something. And, you know, it just sort of, I, I really sort of revere it, but then it also puts me in, in mind, but you've got to be careful not to fall back into, a, you know, a sort of depression about my own mediocrity. Because I think sometimes one of the things that I do is is I I really sort of put that kind of ability on a pedestal. And, and like when I go to art galleries or, you know, any kind of event, where there is something that's on display that is literally, you know, at the highest level of practical ability or creative skill or whatever it is. And I tend to put the the process of learning to do that above the actual performance itself. That's the thing that really gets to me. Wow, you have gone through this, you know, this life honing this this skill, which, you know, I really find I really find fascinating. I almost wish I'd found something like that in my own childhood. So yeah. Uh, so do you think that live scoring 
is a, is an important kind of addition to kind of film event to the film event landscape because it kind of brings the that aspect of film out into the open a little bit more and you get to actually see see those those musicians do that do that thing and it w- w- was that something that was kind of thrilling about the 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 screening was to have have them in the room kind of creating that sound yeah no definitely definitely the case and i think that you know with our work on podcasting i've become much more appreciative of the the absolutely central element that sound plays in in contemporary film you know just look listeners can go back and listen to the making making waves episode just just for a sense of that as well and i think what's interesting was i was trying to ask myself did did this change the viewing experience and i think yeah it did change the viewing viewing experience but it made it something else it didn't make it it, it made it better in certain ways but it kind of took away and i don't even want to i don't even want to say took away all it did was change the viewing experience into something different and something different that is valuable and worth doing and what we discuss in a little bit in the Q&A afterwards is what this brings to the the sort of culture of going to the auditorium and I think it definitely it does that thing of I hate using this phrase but but gives the add-on to the film itself as as if films need the add-on which they don't but I think it does bring a sort of appreciation to an element of the filmmaking process which is the scoring and then it adds that sense of being present in the room and I think people interestingly I think people were much more active as participants in terms of laughing and really sort of soaking up the fact that they were in the auditorium with these great musicians and with the interaction between the musicians of the uh, of the film all of these dynamics were were going on which is a is a different it puts you into a different kind of receptive space i think yeah i've i've i don't think i've i think i might have seen one i can't remember um but it kind of became a thing after i moved here it's in the last few years it's become a really big a really big thing and uh, there's been a few that i've been interested in seeing but i'm not sure i think it's a great thing for films you've already seen you know I remember that I think Johnny Greenwood did something for not you were maybe it was inherent by no the phantom thread and it was like almost like a premiere screening with a live score and it was like I don't know if I could see I don't know if I could see the film for the first time with a, you know I think there'd be but but I would I love the idea of yeah kind of revisiting something you know which is what was interesting about this one was because yeah like I say just it made me rethink the score in that film and what the score is doing in that film and then just by kind of knowing we were doing it and listening to the the conversation and then I watched the favorite after listening to it and it made me listen to the score in the favorite because I'm thinking well what's what's Lanthimos doing here how's he using score and it was yeah really fascinating to 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 go into a film foregrounded music in a way that normally I don't uh, or not often yeah yeah but but again I mean it's interesting because yeah, would you watch a, f- a film the first time with this score? But I would argue that we're only saying that is because we don't have live scores as a matter of course in films. Like, say, for example, if in, in film history, if the technology didn't hadn't arrived to kind of sync in the way that it does, may, maybe live scoring would just be another part of the cinema experience and that we would take for granted. It's It's all, you know, technological and and social and cultural and historical in, in terms of the way that a certain you know that the the ingraining of of an accepted way of a, 
of an art form to be consumed. Yeah, and I've definitely seen silent films with music. Um, yeah. And I'd probably watch a classic film at a festival with a live score. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's probably just the, the new, yeah, which is, yeah, which I guess... Yeah, yeah but sorry, the, remember when we were doing the tweeting? I mean, that, that is definitely much more kind of outside the boundaries of acceptability for most people. But I think, you know, a lot of the results of that were that after 10, 15 minutes, people just kind of got used to it. You yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Interestingly. Yeah, cool. Great. All right. So let's let's get into it then. So this is the introduction and Q&A woven within some absolutely beautiful live scoring of the soundtrack to The Lobster from The Solemn Quartet. His first day was one he'd never forget. Near his table at breakfast sat a young woman with her head tilted back. Later he would learn that she often got nosebleeds. Next to her sat her best friend. Thank you very much for that completely unsolicited response. Um, it's really great to be here at the Gate Cinema in um, London, and I'm absolutely delighted that you guys have asked me to come and share in this fantastic event, the Solemn Quartet, and of course with this amazing film tonight, The Lobster. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit, just by way of introduction to Steph here, the cellist. Um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about how you guys met and how you guys uh, got together as a, as a group. So the quartet originally formed in Manchester, um, I guess just over eight years ago. And we were all students at a similar time. Um, Amy and I are actually sisters, so we already knew each other. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and did you have a sense, you know, when you first met that you were, as you were going through university, that you all clicked as a group and you were studying the same kind of music and it was just, it just seems like, you know, that was a, a natural progression going forward? Yeah, absolutely. And we've all got a shared interest in um, all sorts of different kinds of classical music, um, including uh, stuff that we've been exploring a bit more recently, a lot of more contemporary music and creative projects. Brilliant. Obviously, film scoring is a is an element of that. I mean, is this your first film that you've actually live scored? Have you done this before? No, this is our very first. Oh, fantastic. So um, did you have to do... I mean, obviously, The Lobster, its soundtrack is, is actually designed around quartet music, so obviously it fits really well with what you guys do, but did you have to learn new stuff? Was a lot of homework here involved? There were a few of them that we'd already played, through a few of the pieces, and um, most of them actually get repeated as you go through, so hopefully you'll sort of notice that as the film goes on. Um, but also some new ones, so definitely homework in terms of note learning and also some arranging, which perhaps we'll talk about a bit more later on. Brilliant, thanks very much. Um, I'm going to let you guys uh, get into it. I'm really looking forward to, to listening to you and obviously watching the film. Um, until later on, please stay for the Q&A afterwards, but I give you the solemn quartet with The Lobster.
as he was playing golf. He thought that it is more difficult to pretend that you do have feelings when you don't than to pretend you don't have feelings when you do. He also thought that he liked her accent and he'd always preferred women with short hair. So he decided that she was the one. During the hunt, he would follow her and as soon as she shot Alona, he would say to her, I wish we had real guns instead of these silly tranquilizer ones. Why don't you kill him with your bad hands? And the moment she put her hands around Alona's throat, he would say, Welcome back, everyone. Uh, thanks so much for uh, staying. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for, for doing that. It's absolutely brilliant. Another round of applause for Solemn Quartet. Um, I actually want to call you Solemn Quintet just for tonight because there's only five of you. But um, yeah, I just wanted to start by, by asking Will. Uh, who's that? In fact, why don't we go around and you tell everybody your names without it becoming a, you know, an insurance seminar or anything. Just introduce yourselves. I'm Amy Kess on First Violin. I'm Will Newell. I'm Stephen. <laughs> and Steph on cello. <clears throat> and I'm Pavel on the keyboard. <laughs> okay, we'll try and bear with the uh, the, the mic issue. Um, so, Will, where did the idea come from to actually uh, do this? Because you're doing you're going on tour, obviously, and you're you're at different venues throughout um, the south of England. You're going to Brighton as well. So, where did the idea first come from to do this event? Yeah, I think Amy saw the film, first of all, and uh, obviously because the soundtrack is so full of amazing string quartet repertoire, we thought, yeah, let's let's make this happen. And it was quite a slow process getting the, getting the idea off the ground. We um, sent lots of emails after sort of trawling the credits and working out who was in charge of what. And a lot of people were sort of, um, you know, a lot of people thought this basically wouldn't be possible um, because of uh, the, the age of the film and various things. But eventually we spoke to a person who said he could make the, the right mix for us um, because we've obviously had to have a new sound mix made for us to fill in the gaps um, where the soundtrack normally go. Um, so at that stage, we got in touch with Picture House who were keen on the idea, which is brilliant. And yeah, so we're going to six more picture houses um, in London and Brighton, as you say, yeah. Is it quite technically then challenging to m mix everything kind of correctly or is it quite a, a simple thing to do? Obviously the soundtrack then that they take out the strings that are already in there and you replace those, but I don't know how difficult is that to kind of arrange? Yeah, so I mean, it's been quite a, yeah, quite a process of, of making these parts and finding exactly the excerpts that are used and that sort of thing. And we're, we're now going off sort of dialogue and visual cues um, we're a bit like, you know, Rachel Weiss and Colin Farrell, like, <laughs> you know, give her the ear and all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, we're doing, we're doing all of that, but it's been quite a process to, for all of us to become familiar with the film and, right. and learn where to put the, put the music and stuff. Yeah. Great. And Stephen, um, did, is the, has the rehearsal process been quite a, a long one? How, how tricky and challenging has it, has it been? Um, can we, can we hear me? Yeah. Just maybe up a little bit. Hello. Lots <laughs> of mics here. Yes. Um, it has been an interesting and, and unusual uh, rehearsal process, one that's been, I think, a new experience for all of us and quite an exciting one. Um, we initially got together and sort of 
watched the film in great detail multiple times and put in very detailed time codes into our parts down to the second of when particular events happen and when musical cues are meant to occur um, and discovered that for various sort of technical reasons when the film finally does play it varies some things and how long the film takes so we decided oh actually no we need sort of even more distinct visual and text uh, cues to, to, to go from so we've um, created a cue sheet that goes from that and if this point really learned it um, off by heart effectively um, and it's it's been an interesting comparison as well to, for those of us who have worked in in theater ballet opera etc um, well for Will and I particularly to, to not really see what's going on here but um, <laughs> have to know exactly what's going on here it has been a, um, a fun endeavor and it's been a challenge not to constantly crane <laughs> crane the head and look I, back. I, I was seeing actually you two were kind of just looking at the film and Pasha was as well, but you guys can't obviously see that. So yeah. is there somebody who is, I mean, that we won't, wouldn't notice is the sort of leader or the, you know, the, the person who, who everybody looks to, to, that's the person who's going to cue? Well, traditionally um, in the string quartet, I'm sure you will all know the first violin <laughs> yes. uh, leads us through the journey. Um, but there, there are several, it's basically shared throughout the group for this. But there are a lot of second violin cues actually because Will has so, in such a detailed way, made these excerpts and things and has done so much wonderful work in preparing this. Um, so it's a real mixture, but. Right. And uh, Amy, you said, yeah, they said there that you've seen the film first. So did you immediately love the film itself and think, oh, this is great? And then obviously with all, you would have heard all the strings and think, yeah, we definitely should uh, look into doing something with this. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, it's such a quirky and, and such a funny film. Um, so I absolutely loved it as soon as I saw it. Um, and I went on to see The Favourite afterwards, which I'm sure many of you have also seen and is, is similar in its uh, sense of humour. Um, but also, I think it was distinctive to me because the soundtrack is original string quartets, which is really unusual. So where um, often films are played with live scores, but they're often orchestral scores rather than string quartets. Yeah, and it's, it is it is sort of uh, composers like Beethoven, Stravinsky and Shostakovich. God, I can't get my aces out. Um, so do you think that the this film kind of adds like levels of interpretation that you could, you know, um, connect to those pieces. So obviously the, these pieces will be well known and, uh, you know, in the classical canon, but what do you think that they add to the, the film and what do you think the film adds to them perhaps in terms of how you, how you understand them? Um, I think they definitely add to the film in a really interesting way actually, because um, the pieces that have been chosen are already uh, very evocative and dramatic pieces of classical music anyway, that would by themselves tell a story. But in fact, uh, the way that it's been used in this film almost, to, to me, harks back to romantic opera writing when composers would actually use a musical motif uh, to come back throughout the opera relating to a particular character or a particular event that then, in the listener's mind, would subconsciously add to the storytelling. So, for instance, in this movie, every time Ra uh, Rachel Weisz is narrating, we play Beethoven, Opus 18, number one. And whether that's conscious or subconscious, I think that's something that uh, you start to notice as a, um, as a viewer. And um, interestingly, I was just thinking tonight, actually, that when we performed it, that the very final two times that that Beethoven is used, uh, it's without narration. It's almost as if, by that point, that's, that piece has started to tell the story itself. Yeah. Um, and it's very much the case with other uh, pieces in it. So, for instance, the Shostakovich Quartet Number no. 8 that comes back very often 
is used at moments of great violence, like when somebody's being stabbed or when there's a fight scene. Um, Strauss's Don Quixote, which was the one piece that we had to arrange from orchestra, uh, which Will um, amazingly arranged, um, is used, um, it's, it's a heroic piece in itself, and it's used when Colin Farrell heroically walks over and asks a girl to dance. Right. So it's all very, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's chosen it, very well. Yeah, it's sort of utilizing what the, the music already has, but then adding to it, you know, in terms of how it's matched up with the narrative and the characters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, very good. Um, and, and Pasha, I'm going to ask one more question and then we'll open it out. We do have a, a roving mic uh, that, that will go around. Um, so this kind of event is perhaps almost a throwback to kind of early cinema, you know, you think about the accompaniments with silent screenings and, and now obviously um, it's it's happening because of the, the technology allows that to, to happen. But I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, this is the third time you've done this now. Does, does it feel like that this is a sort of um, event that people are excited about maybe because we're used to kind of downloading everything digitally and watching stuff on Netflix, the idea of coming out to an event like this almost kind of has a wider significance because we're, we're not really used to, to watching films in this way. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, there's a growing trait of everybody just staying at home, watching films on Netflix and kind of, you know, on their, in, at home. And films like this, like this beautiful film, need to be seen in the cinema. And um, so I, you know, if this project has managed to kind of bring people to the to the cinema just so they can see this film properly. That's fantastic. And um, <clears throat> on the other side, um, it's a, also a great introduction to, so let's say, cinema goes, but not people who often go to classical music concerts to hear these pieces live. And that element, which is so important in this film, it's almost like, you know, like Amy said, uh, it's, it's such an integral part. It's like an extra actor that's mm -hmm. out there. And ultimately, classical music needs to be appreciated live. And what's very interesting is the the director used kind of already pre-made recordings. He didn't have just one string quartet that went and recorded all these excerpts. Mm. So, but here we have one unified body playing live. This sort of you know 4D kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think it is very very exciting and and works in this context. I think with with this sort of film and uh, yeah brings people out to experience the movie how it should be, in a, in a way. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's and interesting because I think a, a lot of the, the bigger films, like the, the Star Wars films mm. with the big John Williams scores, they're done at the Royal Albert Hall. But I yeah. think even this adds a sort of level of intimacy, which is really, really fascinating in, and really does pull people out, I think, to, to come and see the film. So Can I just sorry, add yeah, of to course that? Because um, I sort of meant to mention it. <laughs> but one of my favorite moments in the movie is that... Um, sort of slow motion fight scene when they go into the forest and they're doing the hunt. Um, and there's that amazing song, which Pasha has incredibly transcribed um, by ear um, for piano and, and cello. Uh, and that is just one of those, like, okay, yeah, the silent movie thing for me, it's like sitting out there listening to it earlier on was, yeah, it's amazing.
Okay, so uh, hopefully there may be some questions out in the audience. Does anybody have anything they perhaps want to ask or maybe just make a comment? That's all. Uh, oh, down at the front. It's great. Great that somebody starts us off. <laughs> Hi, can I just say it was amazing. It's absolutely wonderful. And you guys are just amazing musicians. But I wondered what the other two films you'd done before were or the other that you, you said you'd done two other no, no, this is the, is this the first oh, this time? First. Oh, it's amazing, amazing. And what are you going to do next? <laughs> Good question. Any ideas um, what, what might come next? I don't know, we have to think about it. It's so rare to find a string quartet um, only score, as I mentioned earlier. So um, any filmmakers out there that want to make a film with just string quartets, we're in the market. There's some with just string orchestra. For instance, Psycho, interestingly, was made for just string orchestra rather than full orchestra, which... Um, Interestingly enough, was for budget reasons, would you believe it? Um, so, yeah, maybe have, that, have, that's often done for a string orchestra. Have you seen the film Quartet that's about a string quartet? Yeah. What do you think um, of that? <laughs> uh, no, I haven't. I've seen a late quartet, but not quartet. It may be a late quartet. It's the same What's the one about singers? Quartet. Oh, I've right, seen quartet, but not a late quartet. There is one about the late quartet, quartet about, the, the four, yeah. Yeah, the, about the string quartet. Have you seen that one? Or, uh, yeah, yeah. Could you do the, could, could could you do a, a score along to that, or is is there a lot of actual string string quartet in that film? I can't remember. Uh, there is a lot of string quartet <laughs> in that film. Yes, um, it is. As I recall, anyway, the, it's Beethoven's string quartet is featured featured prominently in that, right. that film as well. So I think, um, yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> Possibly going forward. Brilliant. Uh, anybody else like to uh, ask a question? Otherwise, it's more of more of me, maybe, or we can wrap up there. What else are you doing um, in terms of your regular performances in the next sort of few months? Where can people catch you? Um, so we're doing uh, lots of our sort of more regular concerts, more traditional concerts um, all over the place. Um, we're actually off to Italy tomorrow for a concert. Nice. So I don't know if any of you can come there. But um, <laughs> uh, And then starting next year, we've got an interesting project um, which is a Beethoven and Bartok project. So Beethoven um, next year will be 250 years old, except he's not actually here anymore. Um, and so there'll be lots of people, uh, lots of string quartets, especially performing um, Beethoven all over the place. Um, and we're pairing late Beethoven quartets. He wrote six late Beethoven late quartets. Um, and we're pairing them with uh, another great composer, Bartok from the 20th century. We're pairing them with his quartets and a brand new commission. So we're going to be playing uh, the first of that series um, next year. Um, 
and we've got lots of other exciting things happening but you all must go and follow us on social media to find out <laughs> yeah definitely definitely do that um I'll, do, I'll turn to the audience again if anybody's thought of anything and then i'll, I'll ask a couple more how old was the film how, how long ago was it made the film it's four yeah. years old so it was made in 2015. oh okay i just found it pretty horrifying myself but <laughs> it is yeah i don't know what message you were trying to um they were trying to give out to the people that, like you were saying, maybe, maybe people are blind and they don't see and uh, don't follow the crowd and that kind of thing. I just found it pretty horrific and I didn't really enjoy it. <laughs> oh, uh, it's interesting because I think it is a Marmite film, yeah. that's for sure. And I think there are. You know, I think I think it is black comedy. Let's say, you know, it's yeah. not happy comedy, that, yeah. that's for sure. But I think it's the kind of film that you can actually pro project quite a few meanings. You know, you, you could take it on face value in terms of the comedy, but there is that thing about how society makes us, you know, behaving institutionally in certain kinds of ways, you know, and, and single people versus married people. <laughs> Those kinds of things are, I think are quite interesting. But yeah, he's a very off kilter director, is, is Lanthimos. And uh, I don't know, people have seen The Favourite perhaps might might maybe you enjoy that one a little bit more but again that's it's very very black comedy so uh, sorry gentlemen there did you have a, a point so the 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 film happened four years ago and i was just wondering when you guys had the idea to actually do this and how long that took to to develop and uh, you know and come to fruition i'd say it's about a year ago now that we had the idea um it was many months of uh negotiating arranging and, and uh, finding the, getting the actual sound mix for the film. And then it was months of talking to Picture House and arranging the tour. And then uh, it's only this, more recently, this final stage has been actually rehearsing and putting it together with the film. And, and the, the sound, getting, the, the, getting it without the sound, was that through the production company? Or was that something that other company, someone else came and did? Or how did, that, how did they do uh, Yeah, so eventually we um, got in touch with uh, Wave Studios who made the... I think the final sound mix essentially uh, and then a sound engineer from there made us the, the film so. can I just say I think you're the most amazing musicians <laughs> absolutely can I can I ask a really kind of I don't know philistine question is how difficult is are the pieces that in in the film are they kind of like on the high end of difficulty for you guys or is the, or is it kind of like I don't know is it fairly fairly straightforward <laughs> you could say they're the hardest things we ever do. You know, don't <laughs> pick yourselves up. In some ways, Beethoven could be considered the hardest classical music to really play well okay. by, by some people. It depends how you look at it. Um, in some ways, uh, technically, the notes aren't the most virtuosic, but to interpret it um, yeah. is uh, something that you could spend your whole life trying to do Absolutely. well. But also, it's very different in this context because we're used to playing, let's say, the whole of a Beethoven quartet, which could last 30, 40 minutes. And here we're just playing kind of 30-second uh, or one-minute chunks, and we've yeah. got to kind of deliver in those yeah. short, bite-sized chunks. Yeah. Oh, thanks very much. Any, anyone have a final comment? One, one more, uh, just jump on the left, and then uh, maybe we'll wrap it up there. Hello, can you hear oh, yeah. Um <laughs> When you're playing in an orchestra, then the music is flowing and you've got a score to follow. I wondered how you dealt with um, the concentration needed for the gaps. Um, 
and does the film in um, in order to get your uh, prompts to come in, back in again and does the film itself be, form a distraction at times um yes in a word <laughs> it is certainly difficult um uh yeah the long the long stretches of not playing is something that we're not used to as string players in particular um obviously if we were playing these quartets as amy was saying in their in their full you know their full stretch we would be playing constantly for 30 40 minutes and as you say in orchestra the string players are pretty much always playing um interestingly it's something that um wind and brass players and percussionists in particular have to get used to uh you have to sit there for 35 minutes and then crash a cymbal in the right place at the right time um and you know if you miss it then there you go um so yeah it is it certainly it, it can be uh challenging it's it's difficult to concentrate for for the best part of two hours um but it's a challenge that we enjoy i think yeah please do it again <laughs> so where can people find out about your your further gigs. You've got a website, and so, I suppose social media is the best place. Social media, absolutely. We're Salem Quartet and <laughs> SalemQuartet.co.uk. Brilliant. Um, so just a few thanks. Thanks to the Picture Houses and the Gate for putting the event on. Thanks to Blaze for the uh, technical support. Uh, thanks to all of you guys for coming. Anybody who wants to listen to the Cinematologist podcast, you can Google it. We're all over social media, and this episode will come out hopefully in a couple of weeks' time. But most of all, of course, please join me in thanking Salem Quartet. <laughs> So there we are. Absolutely wonderful. I, I enjoyed that so much. And, and Neil, what did you think, you know, of the, of the event and the Q&A from sort of listening to it rather than being there? Well, I was just enjoying it immensely and not really thinking about it and thinking, obviously, this is just a really cool thing. And then one of the questions was about the, you know, what is this film? What, you know, what's funny about it? Why this film? This film is really, you know, and then that kind of it kind of jarred me out and I was like yeah this is this is actually really weird to do a live score event for this film you know and one of those moments where you realize actually yeah kind of I really love this film I mean I really love the lobster um I think it's great but it's you forget how weird it is and just how weird Lanthimos is as a filmmaker and I was just like yeah what when you see like things at the Royal Albert Hall, like John Williams playing Jurassic Park, or you know, there's like aliens, you know, Hank, or is that Hanson? I don't know, but like alien, you know, like yeah, of course, yeah, big, you know, huge, entertaining, euphoric scores, and then like romantic melodramas or whatever, and then you've got this this absolutely barbaric and hilarious and tender and odd film with like. A quartet, and this is what's being. But then that then that threw me back into. Well, of course it makes sense because the oddness of the event matches the oddness of the film. And I just thought, yeah, it, 
this is what this is interesting you know that that, that they've that they've chosen this film because they could have chosen a late quartet as you mentioned in the Q&A or something but they've gone for this and that felt yeah that felt kind of really bonkers in the best way so there was it was odd and then I sort of found a new new appreciation for what they were doing which was kind of bringing something out into a refined space of the the kind of the the orchestral auditorium as opposed to the just a film that you would just never imagine would 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 ever get that treatment so it was it was fantastic yeah um and just yeah just a, just a note as well just amazing to hear musicians talk about what they do and how they approach it was is always fascinating so what what did you make of the 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 comment about um, why anyone has wanted to do this <laughs> yeah that was really that was one of those moments on on a live stage where it threw me as well. Because, and I'll tell you why. Because the stage was quite small. so And there was five musicians on there, not four. So it was a quintet, as I said, in the thing. So they had a pianist and the four, four um, string musicians. And I was sort of balanced on the end. So I couldn't move. And, I, and they all had mics. And then we had some mic problems. So I was messing around with that. And I was trying... The Q&A was not per se about the film. So I was not in the headspace to be critiquing this film. You know, I, I didn't have a sort of sense of, oh yeah, I'm, I'm watching this film because of Lanthimos or because of the performances or because of the dark humour and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, of, of course that question, it came up and I was just like, oh Christ. And I had to think really quickly on my feet. And like, if you were there, we could kind of spin that out and made a, a and make a sort of real. And, but I was sort of felt like, oh shit, now I've got to something, say something really insightful and, and sort of take that opinion, which I think is a completely valid one, and sort of spin it out. And actually, you know, when, when, to be fair, when she, when I was answering, she was nodding her head when I was talking about it being a black comedy and a film that is trying to sort of push, push people's reactions, you know, deliberately in, in, in that kind of thing. But I was just thinking to myself, oh my God, that was just the worst answer ever. And then when I, I went outside, I, on the way home, I spent half an hour explaining what the answer should have been to my girlfriend. And she was like, yeah, yeah, I get it. You understand the question. But it, but it, it is a reminder that this is a film that, if you didn't know anything about it, has Oscar winner Olivia Colman from The Crown. You know, so um, you'd be like, okay, I'll give that a go. Oh, there's a live performance. Yeah, that sounds great. You know, what 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 could possibly, what could it possibly be? And just calling it a, a black comedy even doesn't quite get to just how how strange it is. Um, and then it's like, wow, yeah, actually, he made this film with huge stars, you know, really recognisable faces and did something utterly, utterly bizarre. Um, yeah. No, I thought you handled it well because I think, again, it was, it, it's, it's a case of we're so ingrained in this world, we take it for granted that everybody's going to be on board with this and, it's amazing that Lanthimos has got any kind of audience, given how what what he's doing. Um, but the fact that these musicians have kind of pulled out that part shows that it's not he's not just kind of being weird for weird's sake, or he, that he's he's deliberately doing something which is thoughtful and provoking and interesting. Um, it doesn't always land for me, but the lobster definitely does. Yeah, no, I'll definitely come back to that. But just just to finish off the um, on that that little moment, it's, I mean, in fact, the, the the audience was laughing a lot in the screening, like, and not in a kind of like. I thought they were laughing more of it as a comedy than as a sort of you know dark surrealist deconstruction of of these themes about you know relationships and conformity and nonconformity and 
and you, you know whether you conform or you're individualist, you're still going to end up alone. That kind of darkness, you know what I mean? And I'm wondering whether the the actual having the orchestra there actually did lighten the film, so it had that effect a little bit like you were talking about. So people were kind of like, and and whether that woman and certain other members of the audience actually came on the back of the orchestra rather than the film. That that sort of occurred to me. It's like, oh, yeah, of course. If if a friend of yours says to you, oh, do you want to go see this film? There's a live orchestra playing alongside it. It'd be like, oh yeah, I'll go see that. But you know, you, you, if you don't know who Lanthimos is or what the Lobster is, you might just be, oh yeah, I'll go listen to some musicians. You know what I mean? It'd be great. And it is really. I mean, if you know, for, for a certain sensibility, it's pretty terrifying. I think, and and, and kind of like not on the nose, but do you know what I mean? Kind of like. God, what the, this is just, just this is just horrifying, you know. Yeah, I mean that the whole sequence where where Colin Farrell's like quote unquote new partner that he's trying to to kind of stave off being turned into an animal with kind of kills his dog, which is his brother, I think. Is it just like I mean that sequence is utterly, utterly terrifying and really, really kind of provocative. Um, yeah, and if you're not, if you're just expecting a little bit of a little bit of bark here and there, you're gonna be <laughs> you're gonna be in for it. Um, you recently watched the favorite. How does the? Because obviously the lobster was, you know, I think it was critically acclaimed, but I think there were people who thought it was it had good and bad, especially in relationship to the. the I think some people have issues with the the second half rather than the first half of the lobster, and it's funny because. When I was watching The Favourite, it, it did make me think again something that I have thought about Lanthimos, that whether the endings, either they they could be read as not working or is he does he deliberately leave things so opaque that you it, it's difficult to get a handle on the end of a, a, you know, what he's actually trying to say because the endings don't give you that, that clue, really. Yeah, I think it's, they, yeah, I, I think you can absolutely read it in a, these endings in a variety of ways. Either he's deliberately leaving it opaque, or he kind of runs out of ideas and just kind of leaves it open. And not in a bad way, but there's so many there's so many ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, almost kind of loses interest in tying it off. You know, uh, which I think is fine. You know, I don't, but I can see why people feel dissatisfied. You know, and and a lot the a lot of the criticism around the lobster was that it was you know kind of another story about kind of heterosexual coupling uh, as the be all and end all of uh, of which i i don't know i mean I, there's a really funny line in the film where colin farrell is offered the opportunity to to to, to have a homosexual relationship you know but isn't that part of the critique though i think so yeah and i think it and i and i just find that that's the yeah that's the focus that that the film has it could they couldn't be gay relationships because that's too flexible and uh, and open for that that you know the that sort of enclosed world. I think that's that's yeah. what, the way I would look at that. You know, yeah, the patriarchal heterosexual structure is what's being yeah, but being really kind of critiqued mm. and undermined for me anyway. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, and then yeah, again it's like yeah. So what, what, I can see why people don't don't necessarily enjoy it when it kind of tails off, but it's also when it leaves the the space. What I really loved about the favorite is that is the containedness of the space you know it doesn't it's all in the essentially in this one palace with with a few bits elsewhere but it's it's it it feels like an enclosed world you know, up to a just a really strong degree and again feels like the kind of place where the kind of space where lanthimos can really interrogate 
yeah structures and you know kind of long-held structures and ideas around how society is formulated and the rules within society which he's really interested in in kind of attacking uh provocatively and what was interesting is that this, this wasn't his script but you can clearly see that thematically where he's interested and where he's kind of joining it as a, as, as a filmmaker um yeah i really enjoyed i really enjoyed the favor actually um it just, it, it, i just hadn't seen it not just because it you know i missed it at the cinema and it was on the list so this was a great chance to kind of bump it up the watch list um i just i found olivia coleman just amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because so much of the film is, ah, oh, look at the stupid, rich, privileged, you know, hereditary woman who's got no idea and is being manipulated and like, oh, it's, aren't, aren't kind of, aren't the royals silly? All that, you know. But then she just, she's able to turn yeah, yeah. She's able to something else. That, you know. Yeah. And you, it's just amazing how she's so silly and so naive and, and, and then she's just heartbreakingly alone. Yeah. I just thought it was a stunning performance that was that allows everyone else to kind of to do what they need to do for you know in the Lanthimos way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was really clever casting, such a good performance. Um, I thought the film was hilarious in parts. I just thought this is this is just really really funny and and really sort of disorientating as well with the you know whatever he shot. You know, I'm not going to say didn't shoot it on a GoPro, but you know what I mean that fisheye lens yeah, sort of yeah. thing which really interesting sort of movement then you're almost like in a bubble in a circle as a viewer yeah. which is you know obviously creates that kind of effect which is yeah and these locked whip yes hands, you know so you're kind of stuck and then it's kind of locked it whips and locks into this space yeah it kind of creates this sense of being yeah being in this really confined space even though you're outdoors so those hunt those great hunting or uh, like duck duck shooting scenes you know where you feel like you're outdoors but the camera's always kind of making you aware of space yeah uh, Robbie Ryan shot that who's, a, who's an amazing cinematographer um, he's worked with Andrew Arnold and things like that yeah just what a what a it looked great the score was great um, performances were great really yeah really really enjoyed it and the how how Coleman sell, sells the loneliness and susceptibility of of kind of rich, powerful people and how they're at the mercy of less rich <laughs> but more conniving people. I thought that was really. I thought. I thought it was really powerful. Um, yeah, loved it. Loved it. And and I think that the just sort of Lanthimos as a whole. I mean, if I was back doing my PhD and and I was interested in power relationships and sort of back doing my Foucauldian analysis of stuff, it's just absolutely. You know, you could situate it within that way of reading that that the dynamics of power relationships don't just flow from top to bottom. They switch and they move sideways. And, you know, that those who are, you know, who you would consider the, the subjects of power often manufacture ways to reclaim that power for themselves. Do you know what I mean? In in ways that are not obvious. And I think that the in both The Lobster and, and The Favourite, he's very good at sort of playing around with those sort of expectations of who's got the, the control of the hierarchy and, and how how those things never are as clear cut as they seem. Yeah. And he does it he does it in uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer as well. Um which is a film that did not land for me. Um you know, I appreciate it but doesn't it doesn't it didn't you know and I think because the, the his style is is so 
less so in The Favourite, but certainly in, in The Lobster and his earlier films, is so uh, disconnected from emotion in, the, in a kind of traditional sense that the question at the heart of the killing of a sacred deer just, it seemed to me to demand a closer engagement and the constant distance that he creates just, it just it ended up leaving me. I mean, I love the first half an hour or so and it just ended up leaving me kind of just, I can't, I can't get involved because it's that kind of, it's a, such a kind of conundrum. Whereas the lobsters got, there's more, there's more places of entry for kind of trying to work out more human, uh, elements um, and just the, the variety of characters just seems stronger but he's definitely a filmmaker who you can see is like you say interested in power and how that power is played out and that it's interested that he, interesting yeah kind of moving into different genres to, to play around with essentially the same ideas and remind remind of the complexities across across a number of different uh, different styles and tones of films I think is really exciting and of course we do know someone who's doing a PhD on uh, Lanthimos, so uh, she might have had a uh, an issue with you uh, stealing her. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, obviously, uh, Savina, if you if you're listening, then you know I never would have done that, of course. And in fact, um, I'll, I'm going to uh, hopefully have a chat with her soon, and maybe we can talk a little bit about this and put it on out on a bonus because I know she was she was keen to be involved, but um, I don't think the timings worked out. She went off to Bulgaria to do her own film festival, so. Uh, Fair play. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I, 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 for one, can't complain or moan at someone for going off to run the road. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for that, Neil. I really appreciate it. And, and um, yeah, thanks to everybody involved in making that happen. So the musicians from uh, the Solomon Quartet. I must just say there are still a couple of shows available. We've put the link up on the uh, show notes so, yeah, if you can, I really recommend it. I think there's one or two shows in London and one in Brighton still to come before Christmas. But So if you listen to this and you are in that vicinity, then you should really get down there. So uh, thanks very much to, to the musicians for their great performance for, and for allowing us to come back down and, uh, and tape. Thanks to the, uh, the staff at the gate in Notting Hill, particularly the, uh, the, the technicians down there who, who really helped helped us get the tape in the way that, that we wanted to. So that was really good. Yeah, great job uh, with everything. It's a yeah, great episode. And just as a note, you know, um, this came out literally because someone dropped us an email in the, in the, in the inbox. So we are always interested in hearing from people and uh, with these kinds of ideas because, you know, these kind of episodes are, are something we're really interested in doing more of um, and, and kind of supporting that those kind of those kind of programming uh, ideas and programmers is you know so keep them coming absolutely and with that uh, we'll say goodbye yeah you can find us on our socials at Twitter and Facebook cinematologists um, thanks to everyone who's supporting us over on Patreon uh, we will have a bonus episode that I recorded a while back with Hannah Woodhead from Little White Lies dropping uh, before the next uh, the next run of uh, of episodes and we've got loads more films.content we've got our bfi musicals content we've got a whole heap of stuff in the run-up to and just beyond christmas as well as our now famous uh, end of year show so yeah a pleasure to talk to you as ever dario and you of course looking forward to talking very soon again indeed uh, <laughs> cryptic about how we're recording our episodes these days uh so thanks everyone for listening and we will catch you again on the cinematologist podcast